This is Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and I had a collaboration podcast with Mark Schindler tonight. Mark is the uh, host of the Indie Cornrows podcast. He also writes for Indie Cornrows. He also writes for his own site, Premium Hoops. You should check him out 100%. Mark's a great guy. It's always fun to talk to him. We talked about a bunch of stuff. We talked about tonight's game. We talked about... You know, the Pistons being one of the best tanking teams ever. We talked about, you know, Aaron Holiday's value at the trade deadline. We talked about the, the Snyder cut and why the Avengers movies were better. It was like we had, we had a fun conversation, absolutely. And so, so yeah, the next voice you hear will be Mark's. Thanks for listening. Right, let's get into it. Welcome to the second ever edition of the joint Indie Cornrows. Detroit versus everybody pod. It's uh this is your host, Mark Schindler, joined by I guess you're my co-host in this, Lazarus Jackson. Laz, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. It's it's weird. Like I'm a guest and also I'm a co-host. It's like I'm a guest and a co-host. But no, I'm doing great, yeah. man. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Really appreciate being here. Uh solid win for your Pacers and very, very solid tanking loss for my business <laughs> tonight. Yeah, we were talking about this a little before we got on, and I've uh, I've thought about it a bunch every time I watch the Pistons play. I think this is the greatest tanking team of all time. It's got to be up there. It's definitely top five. Um, like I just think there's there's nothing that I can dislike about this Detroit team in terms of what they put on court. Like, I mean, I don't love watching Mason Plumley play. To be completely honest, <laughs> that's um, fair. I don't. I don't think anybody does. Like, he's out of all the Plumley brothers, he's probably the most like aesthetic to watch, which isn't really saying a lot. But uh, no, like, I, I just I enjoy watching this Detroit team. Like, they're in pretty much every game. Um, uh, Troy Weaver has finessed the the tank mode well without really robbing fans of a truly fun season to watch. At least that's my perspective on it. I don't know what it's like. Uh, like I keep up to date with everything going on in Detroit. I obviously know you and James pretty well, but uh, like, yeah, I, I imagine fans still aren't super happy about being 12 and 31 now, but uh, you know, it, it, I enjoy watching the Pistons play basketball. Yeah. I think a lot of fans get it right. I think the having the young kids, in in Sadiq Bay in Isaiah Stewart and even like a little bit in in Saban Lee, having those guys be good right away, like really just ups like the fan engagement and enjoyment, even in a season where you've already lost thirty one games out of the possible seventy two, and so like there's there's a very clear vision of the future, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This also gives a lot of um, confidence in Troy Weaver as a talent evaluator, right? Like the you know with the knowledge that we're going to have a pretty high draft pick this season. Well, like still you got to go through the lottery and everything but like you know staring at like a top at least a top seven pick at the absolute worst like the seventh pick in the draft in the face like you know you have a guy who you can feel get that pick correct which was not always the case in the past as evidenced by like previous Pistons drafts right like you know we're used to like Henry Ellinson and Stanley Johnson like dudes who you know hey you mean the Raptors killing it for the 905 yeah Yeah, no they're killing it well I mean I don't know if you can say killing it Stanley's been Stanley's been fine but yeah, Henry played like 25 minutes in an actual Raptors game. I'm like, oh boy, this is that's where the Raptors are at right now. So uh, yeah, for, what first team All G League Henry Ellenson? Yeah. yeah. So it was like having having guys that contribute at an NBA level instead of at the G League level. I think uh, is a is a big boon for for Pistons fans and their enjoyment of how the season is going. Jeremy Grant's also been nice. Can't can't yeah. ignore that. 
So before we even talk about the game, that's one thing I want to talk to you about. Because, again, I don't watch every single Detroit game, but I try and catch one or two a week um, to really keep up to date. And um, a lot has been made about his efficiency drop. And I don't really think it's fair completely. Like, yes, his efficiency has dropped, but also, I mean, he lost Derek Rose. He lost Blake Griffin. I know Blake Griffin was not good, but um, – he could pass and handle the ball and just a smart player. And he, even though he wasn't a shooter, he had like some gravity a little bit, you know, not anything crazy. Uh, DeLon was out for some games. I mean, um, it's not like Jeremy's just completely fallen off a cliff and he, he had a fantastic game tonight. Um, so I don't know if you, you feel differently about the efficiency drop, but I feel like maybe part of it's just statistical regression happens. But at the same time, I think uh, people kind of undervalue the fact that, Hey, you know, he lost a lot of offensive talent around him, uh, and it shows. Yeah, the, the efficiency drop is deficit, definitely noticeable, but it's really hard to blame him when the second-best offensive player on the team in the starting lineup is, like, Mason Plumley. Hey, that's a right. ratio of, uh, of of conference player of the week, Sadiq Bey. Sadiq Bey, I mean, yeah. Sadiq, Sadiq has his ups and downs, right? Like, tonight yeah. he had a pretty good game. Um, but, you know, game before against Chicago, he was, what, one for nine, one for six from three. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, so he's a rookie, right? He's a 21-year-old rookie. That stuff happens. It's hard to count on him on a consistent basis. Um, the, th- the thing that's important for Jeremy is that even though, for this team at least, like, even though the efficiency has slipped, the production has remained the same, right? Yeah. You can still rely on him for 23, you know, five and, like, you know, two or three assists maybe. Um, and so just just having a floor of somebody who can score 23 points a night just really helps this team persevere night in and night out. Because again, if you look up and down the roster, there's not really that many other guys on this team who can put the ball in the basket uh, on a consistent basis. Guys have nights, right? You saw like Wayne Ellington had a big night tonight. That's been something that happens. You know, Steve Bacon have a big night from three. Uh, you know, DeLon Wright can score 20 every once in a while, but from a consistency basis, like Jeremy Grant's really the only guy who's putting like pressure on the rim and stuff. And I yeah. think the the other thing, like that you were talking about missing Blake and Derek, right? And again, like Blake wasn't that amazing, and Derek Derek honestly wasn't that amazing either in his time uh, in Detroit this season. But uh, like Blake was still drawing double teams, like yeah. they were weird respect double teams, and they were definitely lessening as the season was going along. But, uh, like, you know, just having other players on the floor who could bend to defense was, was particularly, like, useful for, for Jeremy Grant. Uh, I think Jeremy Grant getting this experience as a number one option, as a guy who's having to shoulder a lot of the burden of self-creation, like, will be good for him on a future, like, version of the Pistons. But it's, like, it's, a, it's, a, hard, you know, uh, it's a hard road to plow right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. And I think um, – some people have taken it the wrong way. Like I saw, I've seen multiple people say, oh, well, you know, he's hitting the note. Like, the, of course, he's hitting the efficiency drop. He should be doing it like the exact same role he was with, with the Nuggets. And I just, I, I just completely like vehemently disagree with that. And I, not to be a dick, but I just flat out say, okay, you haven't watched the Pistons play this year. Like he's legit. I mean, you saw like tonight, uh, that, that fadeaway step back has become le- like a legit shot for him, uh, I don't remember who he hit it over right now. I think it was over Justin Holiday uh, in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Um, like he's he's doing stuff that he was just flat out not doing last year. 
And like, like you're mentioning, like, I think a lot has come out, a lot has died down now too, um, about the potential of Jeremy getting traded. And that's just like, I mean, in, in my mind, that's a non-starter unless it's for like an all-star, like four or five first round picks, obviously. Okay. That's, that's an exaggeration, but you get what I'm no, saying. Like no. he's been, no. he's been fantastic. Like maybe he's not a number one guy on a championship team. I mean, he's probably not, but like he's something on a championship team or the yeah. next version of the Pistons, which is more than you can say about, uh, the last two or three years of Pistons basketball. So no, that's, that's my rebuttal to people. And, and especially anybody who, uh, who listens to my pod that thinks that Jeremy Grant is like a tradable person right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you got to remember, he's got the relationship with Troy Weaver. Exactly. Right. Troy Weaver, you know, known him since his days at Syracuse, just been uh, really involved with him in his career. You know, Weaver came out and said like, you know, during the, or before the trade deadline, no one's untradeable. It's like, we'll listen on anybody. But then, you know, you got the reports uh, about the, the Celtics offering like only a couple of second round picks for uh, for Jeremy Grant and being told kind of flatly like, no, it's going to it's going to take more than that. Or it's going to take some better picks than that. And so I, I do think Jeremy's here for the long haul. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of other guys who are just fantastic, Edmund Sumner tonight was that that's my lead off. We're going to talk about Karis LeVert, too, but. To me, Edmund Sumner exploding tonight was even more like, ah, like just incredible. I actually photoshopped his face onto a primary Allen. Um, Edmund Sumner hitting off the dribble threes, sidestep threes off of closeouts. Like um, I just, I was, I was so impressed with his game tonight. And this was fantastic. Uh, it sucks for Aaron Holiday, who notably did not play the game. The last game of the Patriots are going to play before the trade deadline. Um which is and I'm, I'm going to ask about that later. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, basically, point being, I didn't expect Edmund Sumner to really have a, much of a role on this team uh, this year. And it, it really seemed like it was going to go that way at the beginning of the year. Um, and now he's really carved out. I, he played 16 minutes tonight. You could have argued. I actually, I mean, Pacers ended up winning, but I think they could have probably ridden him a little bit longer in the fourth quarter with how hot he was. Uh, and he was contributing well defensively, too. Um, you know, he finished with three assists, but he could have had five or six because Gogo Bataze missed like two wide open layups at the rim off of some fantastic reads. Um, he just was supremely confident tonight, looked great. And he's, uh, it was probably the best game of his NBA career or right around there, uh, which was awesome. Uh, I just like, I, I, I love watching Ed play and, and you, just looking at the confidence in this game compared to stuff he was doing like two months ago is like, it's mind blowing. It's awesome to see. Yeah. I mean, like, and think about what it's taken for him to get to this point, right? It's taken, uh, you know, Aaron Holiday, a dude who was starting games for the Pacers last year, just like, you know, being, you know, pushed from the rotation, like you said. Um, it's taken, uh, it's taken like TJ Warren's injury for like him to get these minutes. Um, you know, even, even with a guy like Karis LeVert and Jeremy Lamb, like back in the lineup for the Pacers, he's still, you know, proven enough while those guys were gone to to you know put himself in a position to take advantage of these minutes and like Edmund is a dude I've had a lot of uh I've had my eye on him for a while just because like me and him went to the same high school so I've been aware of him for a while um he's and he's always been a play able to play but he's always been a very like weird player right and it, it feels like he's starting to put things together offensively in a way that wasn't the case earlier on in his career like the the move he put on Isaiah Stewart uh, in the fourth quarter, the uh, the extension finish over Beef Stew, like that that was a pro move. That's a that's a 
that's a starter level NBA like rim rim pressure attack. And so I'm 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 very curious to see like how this continues going for Sumner, right? I I firmly believe he can be a rotation player in the NBA, like at the absolute least. Um, and you know, with everything that's happening with the Pacers right now, you know, they're going to be playing guys who can just help them win games. Uh, I, I think Sumner is a player who can do that. And I, I, I want to see more. I want to see him continue, you know, uh, to play well and get these minutes for, for that Pacers team. Yeah, definitely. And just to point out, I mean, without even including tonight over his last 12, which is when he's gotten a consistent role. So he's playing 16 minutes a game since February 26, which is crazy to say that that's already a month ago. This year is like nuts to me. Um, but uh, 46.5% from the field, 36% from three onto a game. Almost 90% from the line. He does not take a lot of free throws, but he's been getting there a little bit more. Um, just it, it's been good to see. He's doing a lot of quality stuff. And obviously tonight was a trademark game for him. So, um, yeah, I agree. I can't wait to see what he does more of moving forward. We'll talk a little bit more about trade deadline stuff uh, later on. Um, but, I mean, have to talk about Karis LeVert. Karis was um, easily his best game as a pacer so far. Uh, and this, probably, this is game what, like? five or six I, for him? I think this is game. I'm looking it up right now. I should know this off the top of my head. I think it is five. I want to say it's five. I'm kidding. It's game seven. Damn. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Time has no meaning, but yes, uh, this was game seven, but I mean, his splits before this 38% from the field, 30 and a half percent from three. Uh, so expected. I mean, he's not, he's coming off of a pretty significant ailment. Um, so makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and but he, this is what this is what the Pacers were hoping for. Like this type of performance, I guess, is yes. what you expected the Pacers to to hope for. Like in that trade, right? Like yeah, exactly. a guy who could create his own shot, a guy who they can run crunch time offense through. Obviously, hits the the step back that really seals the game for Indianapolis. Um, and you know, gave them a lot in uh, in the latter half of the. He scored a bunch in the second quarter and then in the fourth quarter. Just just a guy who they can rely on to give them buckets like down the stretch of games, which is a big thing that the Pacers were missing, right? Like that was that was one of the struggles of that Indianapolis team, um, you know, earlier when they were in their kind of funk, right? They, they couldn't close games. I'm, re- I'm remembering like the game against the Knicks where uh, uh, Sabonis had like a really great night but, you know, they just kind of fell apart down the stretch uh, because no one else but Sabonis was having a good night. And so just, like, adding dudes to the roster who can play, adding dudes to the roster who can, who can give them buckets, um, I think that's really big for Indianapolis at a time when the, the spot that they're at in the Eastern Conference is in a lot of flux, right? Like, the, that whole, like, 5 through 11 chunk in the East is, like, really tight. And so adding a dude who can help you there uh, – you know, really makes a bit a lot a lot of difference. Sorry, I'm watching I'm watching uh, Milwaukee Boston. And, oh, I have oh uh, I've heard bad things about Milwaukee Boston <laughs> from my friends Boston. Uh, I think it was Celtics blog actually tweeted out uh, the perfect. Oh wait, that game is close now. Holy crap! Yeah. Y- yes. Um, see, yes. I my, I have the mistake of my computer setup is not faced towards my TV. It used to be. I'm gonna rearrange it tomorrow because I'm realizing how ridiculous that is now. Um, but yeah. Uh, regardless oh well i mean Giannis isn't even playing so. no he's playing he is yeah 
Yeah. Okay. I looked at this wrong. Well, gosh. So that tells you, okay, well, just to, to give people an idea of, of, uh, of Pistons fans, uh, the Pacers lost, uh, gave up 140 points to the Giannis list bucks uh, the other night and Boston is, you know, almost beat them. So that's uh, two different states of the team, you could say. But well, hey, I mean, to, like to be fair, Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner didn't play. But, yeah, but like at, at the end of the night, right? Like Indianapolis won, Boston lost. Like that's another team you're scrapping with at the uh, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference standings, or not the bottom, but like the bottom of the playoffs of the Eastern. I mean, Conference close. Standings. Yeah, I, I don't know. Did Did Chicago play tonight? I think Chicago played tonight. Chicago is playing tonight. I don't know where they're at. Well, yeah, because they're tied with Indy right now for the nine seed. So if they lose, Indy's one game behind on on Boston. Um, so okay, good Chicago stuff. is currently losing to Cleveland. Oof. Uh, Cleveland's actually been better lately, but that's that's still an oof for uh, for Chicago. Yeah. Um, There's more more good results for the Pistons, right? Like you know. Uh, a, uh, a Cleveland win would be nice for the for the tank. A uh, Detroit loss, obviously good for the tank. Uh, let's check on – I can check on Minnesota in a second. Minnesota was playing the Mavericks, like, terribly. Um, yeah. yeah. See, what, what's hilarious is that Detroit – we have two of, like, the opposite top fives. Like, Detroit top five tanking team of all time. Minnesota top five not tanking team of all time because they're 10-33, and 33, but they're not trying to be 10-33. and 33. Like this is a team with Carl Anthony Towns on it. They just traded for a max player uh, over the over the off season. Obviously, they've had like a really weird year, um, but still, I talked to I don't know if you know Dane Moore, but he he does some really great stuff covering the the Wolves. And I talked to him not that long ago, and like it's uh they're in a weird space. But anyways, back to the game. I mean, I want to ask you about some of the the um, some of the young players for the Pistons really quick because. I talked to you about this the other day on uh, Isaiah Stewart shooting, becoming a thing. He took a three tonight. He missed it, but uh, his face-up game is becoming kind of legit. And it's been cool seeing him just find confidence and comfort in taking some of those shots. And it's totally changed my perception of him. Um, I mean, I know from talking to some of my friends who covered the draft, they thought he was going to be somebody who would shoot eventually, um, but not this early on and, and not looking this great early on. Um, I mean, how, how has that kind of changed your outlook on how you look at him? No, that, that has definitely elevated like what my, what I envisioned, like the role Isaiah Stewart would play in the NBA long-term, just because like you, you pair that with the improvements that he's made on the defensive end as the year has gone along. And like that stuff is more typical. The defensive improvements is more, are more typical for like a, a rookie big man, right? They, they kind of learn on the job. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a guy who can face up and splash like, you know, 15 footers and that opens up stuff in the short roll. We didn't see much of that tonight, but he's also kind of like flash that we have, you have a guy who can space it out to three has been willing to take threes in the, in the second half of the season and knock them down. I, I think he's, he, he had like a week stretch where he made like five threes in a week and we were like freaking out uh, because he was, because he was taking them and he was making yeah. them. Um, but yeah, like having, just having a guy like that uh, you can that you can pencil in as a like starting level center on an NBA team for the next like five years like that that's that's really big like you don't that means you don't have to go looking for a center you know in the draft right uh, if if one from USC happens to fall into your lap you're not disappointed about it 
but uh but yeah it just means you don't have to like allocate a ton of resources towards the what is rapidly becoming like the least important position in basketball but yeah is it's it's crazy how confident he was in his shot or he's becoming a shot right away like earlier in the year we were getting you know reports from the beat writers from james edwards saying like yeah man isaiah stewart's like he's taking these face-up jump jumpers before games like he looks really good doing it and the, and the coaching staff thinks he'll be able to do it and you like you hear that and you internalize that and you're like okay cool like you know in year in year two like we'll start seeing some of that and then like maybe in year three he's like a, a 35 percent guy or whatever and then but like and then he comes on the second half of the year and he's just like taking them with full confidence to the point where like when he missed tonight like i was a little bit surprised because he was so open i thought it was going in and it's just like getting getting to that level so quickly accelerating that timeline uh so quickly is just it's it's way beyond like anything we had a right to expect as Pistons fans going into this season, which is yeah. like a, a theme of the, of the year with with these young guys. Like these, all these young guys have been much much better right away than than we had any right to expect. Yeah, and I mean, just like Jason Tatum, he's 19 years old still. So I mean, like there's there's a lot that can uh, that that you can expect from him. He looks on court. I mean, like you you're like, oh yeah, he was like a three or four year college guy. Nope, just. No, he's just jacked. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm really excited to see what, what he can do moving forward. But also, um, I, I know his playing time's been down a little bit, but but what have you thought of Saban? Because I really have enjoyed what I've seen from Saban so far. I know he's not really a, a spacer or anything yet, but um, like watching him go head to head with TJ McConnell was kind of fun tonight for that little stretch of time that that happened. Um, just brings awesome energy on the court um i remember like i was watching live uh because there wasn't a pacers game that night when uh when he got his first minutes um or like he had that first big game when he started just oh against orlando or no he didn't start i mean against orlando yeah yeah um i I like him a lot moving forward too i mean like there's just there's stuff to be happy and tyler cook i know he's not necessarily a young guy i was watching tyler cook play i was like this guy would be a really great backup for on the pacers and he's playing for the pistons right now because they didn't they didn't find him on the on the out of the G League. I know he was like awesome in the G League this year, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Saban, the thing it's funny, right? Because Saban's like this insane athlete, this dude who tried to like he's tried to murder Brooke Lopez and failed, but it was it was still a great try, right? He tried to murder Nikola Vucevic and failed, but it was still a great try. Um in you know, pre-draft, he's known as like this insane athlete guy. But what's really impressed me the most about him is his patience, right? He's been a really patient, like pocket passer in the pick and roll, which is not what you expect from that type of guy. Like normally the guys who are just so much like quicker and faster and can jump higher than everybody, they don't have the vision, right? Because they're so mm-hmm. used to just using uh, their athleticism to get where they want to go on the court and do what they want to do. But Saban like also like ties in that element of patience where he's like setting guys up. Um, he had like great chemistry with, uh, with Stewart. Like when when the two of them have played together, um, is he's just he's just been he was really impressive. Um, I don't and like we shouldn't read too much into him not playing like the second half. Yeah, uh, the, the Pistons have a big like log jam at point guard. And I mean, guard yeah, Frank Jackson, twenty nine point score. I think he scored twenty nine in the game, right? It was twenty nine or it was like twenty eight or twenty nine. I can't remember. I don't think it was quite thirty, but I remember like checking my phone. It was twenty three. Yeah. Okay, well, I yeah, I can't read numbers, but regardless, for Frank Jackson scoring twenty three is like scoring forty. So, no, um, for sure. And uh, and like Dennis Smith Jr. had a pretty good game tonight. 
um, despite like you know the couple of people on Pistons Twitter who really don't like Dennis Smith Jr. But uh, why do why like I, I I've been pleasantly surprised by him. Like I, not that I think that Detroit should keep him long term or anything, but I, I thought I mean I felt like he's actually been a solid contributor. Yeah, um, and 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 he has. He's just uh, he hasn't been able to like Saban has been pretty clearly better than him for yeah. one. And, uh, and, and Saban is part of the long-term course. It's, it feels weird to play this guy who's not going to be here long-term over the, the guy who is going to be here long-term and is playing better. And so like, there's a little bit of resentment there. I think um, the other thing is like, he, like Dennis Smith has been, he's been fine, but he hasn't always been fine in the way he was expected to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like he's been, he's been able to like make things happen in the pick and roll, but he hasn't been like blowing past guys. Right. He doesn't, have that that quick tit twitch element that he that he used to have like in Dallas he can still get up on off of two feet but he needs like space right and so he hasn't just been able to uh he hasn't looked nearly as like special as he did like kind of earlier in his career which is understandable right like after the quad injuries after like the wrist injuries after all the stuff he's he's been through on a personal level uh you, you get it but it's also like the reason why he's not thought of like as a as an elite prospect anymore as well so it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but I do think he's played well enough to establish himself like in the NBA for the long term. Just like that's probably not going to be in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I I would probably agree with that. But it's been cool to see him rehabilitate a little bit. No, absolutely. Um, and, like, and I it, think it, his defense has been like kind of okay, like not awesome off ball, but like on ball, he like holds up at least against point guards. Yeah, he's, he's been giving a lot of energy and effort on that front. For sure. Which and is think, much more than you can say about his next tenure. So I'll take it. You know, for sure. And like, you know, helping, you know, helping DSJ like rehabilitate himself as a, as like an actual NBA player, helping dudes like Tyler Cook, like, you know, show what they've got. Um, it just, it keeps pointing to the Pistons as, you know, pretty good, not only talent evaluators, but talent developers. Yeah. Which just like really bodes well for anybody they choose to bring in in the future. And for like you know, making the most of any any people they pick up in trades or anything in, in the future as well. It's just yeah. like if you if you can bring in guys and you can identify the good the good guys to bring in and then help you know maximize them through through talent development. Like that is the way that the Pistons are going to have to win because like you know they're not going to sign you know Kawhi in, in free agency, right? We we and we've talked about this in the past, but like this is like again like it's it's so important to be able to do this stuff. If you're not uh, one of the, if you're not one of the NBA's like glamour market teams, yeah, no, I totally agree, and it's it's been awesome to see that. And another guy, I mean, Sadiq is the last guy I want to talk about in terms of the young player. You, you, I mean, we could bring up other guys, but I feel like in terms of looking at quote unquote young core, that's like the group right now. And you could, I mean, Seku. I don't know if you want to talk about Seku after tonight's game, but um, <laughs> yeah. Sadiq was fantastic tonight, and I, I know he was really good from the field, and obviously from three, but. Um, some of the passes he had tonight, he had a couple reads out, out, off a of closeout, and I think he had one out of pick and roll too. Um, I was impressed by. Um, I know that wasn't necessarily his billing coming out of college, but um, has the playmaking kind of been a thing that started to grow, or, or what have you seen out of that? Yeah, you. you so he was he really struggled attacking the rim, like in the in his first couple. Well, of yeah, games. I remember because I noticed this. Uh, I was doing a preview last night. Um, and I was like, holy shit, Sadiq Bay's over 40% from the field. Because I remember he was uh, he was shooting better from three than from the field overall for most of yeah. the year. So it's been nice to see that go up. 
He was shooting like 12% at the rim oh, to, to start. And it was just like, oh, it's like, oh, this, this isn't great. But as he's gotten more confident and as he's gotten, you know, more, more playing time, more reps, uh, he's been able to attack the rim more. And now great stuff from that, right? Like you we're seeing, you know, Sabonis like having to close out on him because he's such a good three-point shooter. Him, you know, having the patience to to attack that closeout and then find Jeremy Grant on the cut for a layup. It's just like the little things like that where uh, like defenses didn't care if he was attacking on the closeout when he was like, you know, his fifth NBA game. Like they're just like, okay, let's see what this kid can do. Um, but like now that they both know that they have to respect him behind the line and like attacking the rim, it just like opens up other stuff in his game that he's able been able to take advantage of. Uh, it's been it's been really great to see Sadiq uh, develop into a guy I think is going to be here long term for Detroit. The Pistons have just like sorely needed just uh, a capable team defender, dude who can knock down three pointers and like also do a little bit of some other stuff. That it was also like six seven, six eight, and thick. Like they they haven't had that guy in forever. And so like yeah, like it's it's been. Uh, it's been great to see Sadiq's progression. Like he's still inconsistent, right? He's still a rookie. Talked about the the one for six against Chicago like earlier this week, but uh, like you know prior to that he had you know twenty eight against the Raptors and was like six of ten or six of nine for three I think. And so uh, like yeah, he's just been he's been he's been uh, up and down, but like his uh, his up his uh, heights have been really high and just really impressive for this uh, for this business team. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like really interesting too moving forward, like not to lock everything in, but like Sadiq and Jeremy is a fantastic starting duo moving forward, like already defensively. Um, I mean, Sadiq's going to grow and become a better on ball defender as he, um, as he gets bigger. I mean, like he's still probably going to fill out a little more, add some meaningful weight, but like already like the length and team defense between them is fantastic. Like Jeremy, um, I tweeted out cause Karis was, starting to cook. And then Jeremy had that block on him. That was just like, Oh my God. I was like, uh, if, if Karis doesn't score again tonight, I would understand why, but, um, <laughs> that was, Oh man. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just like, I think I look at basketball with differently than some people, like a lot of people get, and I'm not trying to hype myself up for that, but like, I don't know. I just see like the potential of steam and like there it's there. Like, um, they still need like a lot more creation for sure. Like if Sadiq and Jeremy is like your pair moving forward. Okay. You're missing a lot in terms of playmaking, but um, I, I don't know. I, I really like them, but back in looking at the Pacers though, one thing I didn't even mention that, that I think we've hit on a little bit, like getting that downhill ability is what's so important. And I think you saw that with Karis tonight, and that's what was huge that I think hasn't really flashed consistently for him yet. And something that I know has been a thing for him is like, um, he's got the capability to get downhill, but he's uh, a lot more comfortable pulling up sometimes from, um, you know, like eight to eight to 18 is like his range. Um, but he got to the rim probably seven or eight times tonight. Uh, it felt like not everything was a, a finish, but like he, he had some good dump off passes. Uh, he's really started to develop a pretty good chemistry with Domas. Um, and Domas didn't even have a great game tonight. Uh, but I, I mean, he was still solid, but like five of 13 from the field, like, bleh, that's not really a great Domas game compared to what he normally does. But um, the way that Karras was able to bend the defense and just get open shots for everyone else was something that the team's solely been lacking. And you can just tell, like, I mean, I'll ask you just based off this game compared to last, like, um, 
the the difference in scoring gravity that the team has with Karasan compared to what they looked like a month ago when they played is like astronomical in my opinion. Yeah, I mean the the last time we talked, right? Like Domas had had a really nice night. Yeah, and it was it was at the point where it's like if Domas doesn't have that night, like the Pacers just lose, right? And and now that's not the case because they have a guy like Harris who can come in and fill that void offensively. You know, uh, Levert like led the team in shots, right? Like we were, uh, were we? I don't. I forget if we were talking about this in the podcast. We were just like talking about this on Twitter. Was like you know if if Brogdon's leading the team in shots like that that was not necessarily like a, a great thing for for the Pacers earlier this year, um, you know Levert is taking on that burden, uh, even if he's not like classically like the the guy you think of as like you know the best offensive player on a championship team or whatever. Just like him him being able to to do that and putting everybody else in their like you know secondary tertiary roles uh, offensively is just like a huge value for making everybody you know more comfortable. Um, I was thinking about, you know, Brogdon attacking Dillon in the half court uh, and in transition and in the third quarter, uh, just because like, you know, he, he has the, he has the juice left in his legs yeah. because he wasn't trying to carry the team the entirety of the first half because Karras was going off. Um, and then, you know, obviously you know, we talked about the, the Karras step back to, to seal the game. He's still got enough left in the tank to, to do stuff like that. But yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's been it's like, Getting getting Karras and helping having that like just makes all the other pieces fitting fit better. Whenever TJ Warren gets back, he will also help just the other pieces fit better. And the the Pacers are like the Pacers are really close to being a team that uh, you know you wouldn't want to play in a playoff series, even if you're like you know the <laughs> the the Nets who I'm watching right now and have been terrible on defense. Right, this is like you the. You, that's not, you know, like that's a that's a series that's going to turn out tougher than you want it to be. And I know that's it's I I can see that's kind of frustrating for for Pacers fans because like that's where they've been the last three or four years, right? Like in in a tougher than they want to be playoff series, but still ultimately coming out uh, at the bottom. But um, like the, there's a lot of there's a lot there there with, with this team. But I guess this this kind of brings me into what I wanted to ask you about, which was which was the trade deadline. You know, we, we got the reports that the team is, but, but listening to offers on Brogdon and obviously like holiday didn't play tonight. And so I was going to ask like, you know, with the emergence of Levert and like with, you know, the future return of Warren, like uh, does that make Brogdon uh, more expendable in your mind? Like what, what do you, what do you think the Pacers are, are looking for when they're listing offers for Brogdon? Yeah, I so I honestly I just took it in terms of uh more their I mean it's their job to listen, right? Like I mean Kevin Pritchard's talked about that in his press conference. He he's mentioned that no one is untradeable. You know, he's you know, we we respect our guys, we we like our guys and we're always going to let them know if they're in trade talks, but like if somebody calls us, we're going to we're going to listen and see what they what they project their value as of our guys and we want to know what people think and um that doesn't mean that they're on the table. And I think that's how they view Brogdon. Um, like, I think just in terms of like a community aspect and leadership wise, um, he is the guy in the locker room right now. Um, he is the quote unquote leader of the team. Um, and in terms of what he does on court, I think it's really hard to envision him not there, especially even for this team. Like um, I think ultimately Karis is probably going to be the, the, 
lead ball handler. Um, at least most nights, I think that's how it's going to be just because he's a lot more comfortable with the ball in his hands than being off ball. Maybe that'll change up as time goes on. But like uh, Malcolm, as I mean, as you saw tonight, he's much better attacking a tilted defense. Like I think mm -hmm. um, getting that initial advantage from Karras is like huge for the rest of the team. Um, but I think my, my I mean, this is not me trying to say that Vincent Goodwell doesn't know what he's talking about. But like, I think a lot of people took that in terms of instead of uh, they're just listening to what people are saying. Uh, they took it in terms of, oh, well, then they're, they're fielding offers. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think that's happening. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I could always be wrong, but that's just how I took it personally. I, I actually think um, the only guys who I would view as like, I don't even want to say expendable, but like that the team will think about, like, I, I think it would be more likely for one of the centers to get traded than for Brogdon to get traded is how I would put it. Cause I think he's not that he's more instrumental, but it's just easier to envision him being part of the core long-term than having both centers on the core long-term. No. Yeah. That makes sense. That's also a big frustration of mine. It's like, as soon as somebody's name appears in a trade piece, it's like, Oh, this dude is getting traded. And it's like, and eh, that's, it's not really the case. Like that's yeah. not how, how these things work. It's like, yeah. if, if it was like a lot more, a lot more guys <laughs> would get traded. The, the Celtics would be, be like stacked, man. It would be, it be insane. Um, it's <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny though because uh you know when I used to just like be a, a fan and I just enjoyed like watching bat. I mean I still I, I enjoy watching basketball even more now, but like now that I actually cover a team, I'm just like wow, I just want the trade deadline to end. I want it to be 301 tomorrow so I don't have to talk about this shit anymore and get a bunch of fake trades in my mentions. But um no, it's uh it's just interesting how it works out. Like I I, I mean Looking at the trade deadline overall, I mean, I have questions for Detroit too. I mean, I, I don't know if you have any more on, on Indy. We can get to those for sure too. But like, um, I almost was, I don't want to say I was surprised that Wayne played tonight, but I was a little surprised that Wayne played tonight. Um, I, I think he hadn't played in a while. And so I think they did kind of have to like show, like, okay, he's fully healthy. He's right? still like alive he's, he's, and can yeah, shoot he's, three. So he can still play. Like, please, please give us a second round pick. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Um, do you have any like inclinations that that any anybody would be on the move? Like I know, um, I, I mean I, I've I'd seen stuff flash about Delon, but like he's been solid for the Pistons, and if you trade him, Killian's still not going to be back for a while. Um, so Saban Lee is your starting point, or I mean maybe Dennis Smith is starting, but like that's, I mean you go from being like the top five tanking team of all time to like not top five tanking team of all time <laughs> real quick yeah, yeah yeah and like a lot has been made a, a, a lot too of i mean delon is from i i think flint area right uh no no this, or, that's the casey connection right like you oh yes okay it's the Toronto. Casey. yeah that's what's yeah. going on um but yeah like so i i don't know that's that's my read on i know james has talked about that as well in his pod and um but I mean, what what's your sense on anybody who might be moved or anything that Detroit's looking at doing? I think it's going to be a quiet deadline for the Pistons. I mean, the the thing that obviously seems the most likely to me is is the Wayne Ellington for a second rounder uh, trade, just because like you know uh, he he makes more sense on a team that needs shooting uh, in a like more uh, he makes more sense on a playoff team than he does on the Pistons, right? Like especially since uh, the Pistons traded for Hamadou Diallo two weeks ago and he hasn't played yet, but they're going to need to space to get him minutes. Um, obviously like uh, Wayne would be one of the guys on the outside looking in uh, if like when that happens. And so it, just, it makes sense for, for him to, to be shipped off someplace else. 
Um, I think Delon was a lot of teams like Plan C, right? Uh, but like with not with not much not much happening in the trade deadline, and uh, not much time like forced things to happen in the trade deadline. I, I I'm starting to I'm starting to think he'll be here uh, at you know three one tomorrow. Um, like I I thought of Delon as a as a fit for Philadelphia if they struck out on Kyle Lowry, mm-hmm. right? I've thought of Delon as a as a fit in uh, in Dallas again. He, you know, he played in Dallas like last season. And Dallas could use another, another point guard type with a little bit more size. Um, but you know, obviously the Lowry stuff hasn't resolved itself yet. And you know, by the time it does, it might be you know twelve fifty eight with with no time for another, you know another trade involving Delon to kind of come through. And so yeah, I, I like there's no and he's been good this season. And he doesn't and they've already like played him next to Killian. And so there's no like there's no rush to uh to you know throw delon right into a trade just just for the sake of, of doing so um and so you know i and there was also a little bit of rumblings about mason plumley and honestly isaiah stewart has played so well that you know you could see him starting right away and and like the team not really missing a beat um but it seems like plumley was most like rumored to uh to brooklyn and like that seems to have kind of quieted that that noise is quieted and also, like, there are a lot of centers available on the market, right? We still got Andre Drummond hasn't uh, resolved his buyout situation. Um, you know, you still got guys like Dwayne Dedman on, on the free agency market. Um, you know, when, when Embiid went down, I thought something might happen. But then, like, you know, Tony Bradley scores, like, 18 points last night and, like, you know, looks solid for Philadelphia. And so, uh, and, like, you know, JaVale McGee is, is out there on potentially in the buyout market. Have you seen so, some of the stuff he's doing in Cleveland? I have not. Oh my God, man. He's taking like step back threes and uh, Zach Lowe put it in his 10 things, but I'd also notice cause I, I mean, I talked to our guys, Chris Manning and Evan Damrell pretty, pretty yeah. often. And uh, it, dude, it's just some of the stuff that he does is like, I, I, you can tell it's a, it, it is very much so Cleveland. Their offense is uh it is an offense. I think that's the nicest thing I can say about it right now. But uh, also, Lamarcus Aldridge erasure. Poster. If I've ever seen it, man, you didn't even mention Lamarcus. After- oh yeah. I oh, see. I was I was trying to think of the third guy, and it is Lamarcus. I forgot to call Lamarcus. Yeah, he's out there too. So it's just like yeah, like if you're a team and you need a center, like there are other options besides Mason Plumlee. Yeah, and it's interesting yeah. too. Like I think it brings up a lot of good points. Like um, you could. I think there's a tendency from like fans and, and just people in general to be like, well, this is a young team play the young players, only play young players. We can, we can only have young players just pretend it's 2k and like launch everyone into the abyss for draft picks and, and prospects. But like at the same time, you have to have guys you can learn from who've like been around there and done that stuff. And I know we've talked about this before too, but I'll bring it up again for people who haven't listened. Like, like I always bring up the, the, the Sixers. Like I, I think a lot got made, uh, that that showed like if if Philly wins the championship, then of course you're gonna say, well, this was a successful experiment for them to do the process. But like if you really think about it, like it took them a lot of failure to get to the point they're at now, and they didn't have a lot of um, quality, not to say shit players, but like having like quality veterans who can kind of usher your guys into a new era. I mean that's important. You have to have guys who are capable of playing basketball still that can gain the respect of the young guys and try and show them like good ways and good habits. Like that's important. No, absolutely. I mean, like even, I think even the 2k example is instructive, right? Because 
you know, obviously you can, you can tear your team down entirely to the studs on 2k and just like sign a bunch of rookies, but like they, they put in a progression thing as like the, the, you can like help your guys learn badges from older players who have that badges, who has, who have those badges. Right. And it, it mirrors like, you know, uh, older vets, like helping the younger guys just like learn how to be better at basketball. And it's so, but you like, if you, if you don't have those older guys on the roster, you can't, that progression can't happen. That, that knowledge transfer can't happen. And so it's, it's very important to, to both like have those young, have those old guys on the roster and still have them be able to play. I think that that's the thing that's really important. I know. And like, that's, that's part of what makes the Pistons, you know, the one of the best tanking teams we've ever seen. Right. This is, that's part of what's keeping their, their net rating, you know, not in the complete toilet. Um, and it, I know that that's been big for, for some of the young guys. They've talked about this, how, um, you know, seeing what it takes to like win like every night consistently uh, in the NBA, seeing what it takes like to be ready for that has been, uh, you know, big for their development and uh, being in these competitive situations, being in these close games, you know, you know, losing these close games, but for by and large, but still like getting the reps in uh in like down the the stretch of game situations like has been important for the young guys and it's stuff for for them to build on this this entire year for the pistons is like about building a foundation for their young players and i think they've they've done a masterful job of that yeah yeah i would totally agree with that and um talking about young players in development uh we had i totally it slipped my mind even talking about the pacers at the trade deadline uh aaron holiday not playing tonight which we mentioned before um, that's not like the death knell or anything, but he's he went from playing the – I mean, he was starting at the beginning of the year um, after – I mean, he was the first guy off the bench to start the year, um, and then he was starting games after T.J. Warren got injured, uh, and then he went back to, to his role on the bench and then slowly slipped down the depth chart as T.J. McConnell started playing better, and now Edmund Sumner has taken over his minutes for the most part. Uh, and he's been playing, you know, either garbage time or just some small minutes here or there. And he's been largely out of the rotation for like the last week. Um, and it just kind of is getting to the point now where I, I think it's unfortunate a, because I really like Aaron holiday um, seems like a great dude. Uh, but also it's it, like, he, he's mentioned as a young player. He's still as young relatively. I mean, but he's, he's 24 almost. I mean, he'll be 25 before next season starts. Um, his deal is going to be up at the end of this year or it's next year. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, but regardless, like he, there were, there were offers for him last year and people poked around about him last year. Um, and now his value is just like totally down. Uh, and it's kind of, I don't want to say it's like the Pacers fault, but it's kind of the Pacers fault because uh, his values just totally tanked this year. And part of it is, you know, he was not put in a great role. Like he's never been an awesome like play finisher. He's more, he seems like a guy who's a lot more comfortable having the ball in his hands and getting to operate that way. And that just hasn't been the case this year, but he also hasn't really earned those minutes just with his play overall. Uh, Not to say that he hasn't like worked hard or anything. Um, but it is uh, it is tough to see because the last month it really seemed like he'd been rounding the corner and finding some uh, some real shake in his new role, um, becoming a little bit more comfortable off the bench. But um, ultimately, I would 
probably be more surprised if he, or I guess I shouldn't say I'd be more surprised if he isn't traded tomorrow, but um, I wouldn't be too surprised if he's traded tomorrow. I know rumblings have come out about it, but uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. It regardless, it seems slightly, uh, slightly untenable moving forward without him having more of a concrete role. Yeah, I was. So when I when I heard about that uh, on the low post, you know, I was I was, you know, just driving around. I was surprised, not because, you know, I, I hadn't seen his diminished role. I, I had seen that, obviously, but because, you know, he's uh, you know, I thought he played really well for them uh, the last year. And I thought that was enough to kind of solidify him into the team's plans for the future. But, uh, you know, that's obviously proven not to be the case. I was going to ask you, Mark, you, do you think this, do you think that Aaron holiday is as available as he is right now? If TJ McConnell is like not having a season of his life. Oh, right? definitely like if, not. Yeah, it's like if TJ McConnell isn't, you know, playing out of his mind, you know, in an expiring contract year and, you know, putting himself in, in the mind of the front office as like a guy who could be the long-term solution at backup point guard. Like you think Aaron holiday would be you know less available. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think that totally changes things. Um, and it's interesting because I, uh, I've thought about it a lot in terms of how everything has gone for Aaron, because I think a lot of people will say, Oh, well, he just didn't play well enough to cement his role. And I guess, yeah, that's fair. Um, but I do think – I mean, he was fantastic in the bubble. Um, I thought he had as good of a playoffs as he could have. He was put in a really tough position defensively. Um, and, I mean, he had a pretty good year last year. It was really up and down, but he had stretches where he would, like, start and was fantastic, and then he'd go back to the bench. And by the end of the year, he was, like, almost out of rotation because Victor was back. And it was just – he had, like, one of the least concrete roles on the team. That's been the same thing this year. Like, he's never really gotten a chance to just – be Aaron holiday in a role. And I think that's gotta be more frustrating as a young player, just a player in general. Like I would rather have a role and know what my minutes are going to be than be kind of just all over the place. Like, I mean, he went from just in like the last week, he went from playing like 21 minutes to, to six to DNPing to playing 16 minutes the next night. Like um, that's frustrating. Like I, I remember like just playing sports growing up. Like I hated like not knowing if I was going to get in or not, like not to just say I'm, I was like a scrub, but like, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> no, it's, it's it, just it frustrating. Wears on like, you mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's easier to know, okay, I'm not going to be in, in this situation or something than to be like hoping for it. Um, it's just really tough because you look at 18, 19. So I'm going on a long rant here. I apologize. But like 18, 19, um, his rookie year, the team that was like the, I mean, that's the Victor team that, I mean, the, the year that Victor gets injured is 18, 19. Um, so they go to the playoffs and, and get shellacked by Boston in the first round. And he plays seven minutes. Like that was, they, they went and they, they, instead of giving some more opportunities to Edmund Sumner and, and Aaron holiday, even though Victor was not going to be there for the playoffs, um, they signed Wesley Matthews and he was fine and ended up being part of the Malcolm Brogdon trade, which was great. And that worked out well. Um, but you kind of shaft your young players by doing that. Like I get wanting to be competitive, but they knew they were not going to win that first round series against Boston because that's the Kyrie year. I mean, that that team was stacked, even though they they did not really gel at all. Uh, there was no mm-hmm. way that the Pacers were going to win that series. Um, then you go to 19-20, and he's, I mean, he starts half the games he plays. I, I thought he really took some steps, but still had a lot to figure out. And in the bubble, it looked like he really turned that corner. Um, 
And then it comes to this year, and it, part of my frustration with this year is, like, I get where they're going now, um, but at the same time, I really thought, um, like, I, I want to say that there should be a longer leash for Aaron Holiday, but at the same time, like, um, he was just wasn't playing well, frankly. But like, when TJ McConnell started taking those minutes and, and his role shifted again, like. It's just hard. Like, do you keep giving the guy who is your young player that was a first round pick? Do you keep playing him 25 minutes a game, even though he's playing like crap? Like, DJ McConnell earned that spot and earned earned his minutes. But at the same time, like, is it better for this team to try and figure out, okay, Aaron Holiday, we've seen at his peak or or when he's when when things are hitting for Aaron Holiday, he's a more impactful player on both ends than TJ McConnell. Uh, he's not the same passer or floor general or whatever, but like he can do more defensively because he's got a longer wingspan. He's got a stronger base. Um, and he, he's a, he's a, he's a shooter. I mean, he shot 39% from three last year, which that was what was weird for him this year. Like that just was totally not there. Um, and I think part of that was just all role reversal. Uh, he shot like almost 40% from three over like the last month. Um, so that was like the part they was starting to figure out, but I don't know. It's just uh, that's part of the it's difficult to develop players or to figure out how you're going to develop players when you're a, a team that's not tanking. Um, I Or not even that you have to be tanking, but like there just really wasn't I don't want to say that there wasn't development plan, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, I, there, I there like wasn't the like a dedicated had some of that, role. those same problems, too, like when they were trying to be a team that's making the playoffs. But, OK, well, how are you playing this young guy? enough minutes to to figure out what the hell he's doing in the NBA or what you're doing with him in the NBA. If you're maybe thrusting him into a role that he's not ready for yet. Like I I've thought, you know, I, I kind of just wish that Aaron would get like a month straight of playing, you know, 30, 30 minutes a game, regardless of, of what happens. Cause you've seen like over the last, I mean, in this entire year, if he has um, just like a, a, a poor stretch or a mistake, he gets pulled and um that, that's, it's hard to develop through that sometimes. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, that's obviously very rough on, on holiday as, as a person um, in that obviously like affects what, uh, what he's going to do on the court. But I was thinking just like even more from like an asset management perspective, right? Like you have this guy who you're, it's the same front office. You took him uh, in the first round, you know, not that long ago. And you're going to choose like a, you're going to choose TJ McConnell, who's playing really well. And I, I don't mean this to demean TJ McConnell, but like you're, you're going to choose TJ McConnell over this guy you expended a first round pick on uh, at the trade deadline. Like that, that, that just feels like a poor management of your assets, right? Like that doesn't, it feels like you, you've, uh, you've kind of failed a little bit as a team if you can't find a way to, to maximize this guy that you spent a first round pick on has shown that he has talent and the ability to play in the NBA and uh, just like, you just can't find like a, a consistent role for him um, like on your team. Like that, that, that's, that's poor, you know, that's poor asset management just in general. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if holiday is traded to a team that can, you know, make more use of his talents. If he's traded, you know, to a team that desperately needs a point guard, I'm thinking like your, your Orlando magic, right. Or, even to uh, to like a lesser extent, you're uh, like a backup point guard for like Atlanta or something, right? Like if he were put into a situation in which he would have an immediate role and, and a dedicated role and be part of that team's long-term future, like I have no doubt that he would thrive. 
right and and so it's like as a front office like do we want to it's like do we want to put ourselves in position to you know open ourselves up to scrutiny it's like do we want to trade uh this guy who's been like going to blossom into a role someplace else for uh for tj mcconnell and again like not to did not to denigrate tj mcconnell but like that's that's the reality it's like it, those are the tough choices right like i I don't, I don't envy what, what Kevin Pritchard and team like are, are going through right now at the straight deadline. Yeah, exactly. And I think the last thing I'd say on it too, I know it's been a long rant, so apologies to Pistons fans, but like um, it's just tough because, you know, like you're mentioning, I mean, he was to, to their credit. I mean, he was playing above TJ McConnell start the year. Um, and so you could tell that, I mean, it's not like I've ever felt that he wasn't part of their long-term plans, um, but it's just, like he wasn't playing well enough to warrant the minutes, but at the same time that it's with this year and how everything changed with the Victor trade. Um, like, I think that the perception of the team was like, so, so skewed because they started off well. Um, like I really thought that there was an opportunity where the team could have not that they were tanking, like not at all, but I think there's a way to, instead of playing eight guys in your rotation, you play 11 or 12 deep. Like the Pistons played all, they played, I believe they played 12 guys tonight and they were still extremely competitive. Like you still get savingly seven and a half minutes. And that was the least minutes that anybody played tonight. Like, I just think instead of playing Domas 40 minutes and Malcolm 40 minutes for those, that those two months that they did, like that's where you maybe try and play Aaron Holiday even more and try and see if you can help him find a rhythm, like stuff like that. Like maybe you lose three or four more games, but I think you have to stomach that when you're in a year like this and you're, and you're trying to um, build towards something better than you have been the last couple of years. But I, I don't, I don't know. That's part of the reason why I'm not in the front office, but um, and I, <laughs> yeah, I also am only 23 years old. So that would help as well. But yeah, no. Um, and like, these, these are really, these are really tough choices. And you know, I, to shift this a little bit back towards the Pistons, like this is a similar dilemma to what the team is going through with, with Sekou Dublia, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of the same things where, uh, you know, other guys have played better than, than Sekou. He's been, he hasn't played particularly well when, when he's been on the court, but obviously the talent is there. Like he has had stretches of effective basketball, you know, uh, the first stretch when he hit the NBA uh, last year. He's had, he's looked, you know, really good in the G league for, for times. Um, and in those times he had like a more dedicated offensive role. He had a, a you know, clearer idea of like what he was going to accomplish, like on the court when he was put out there. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, you know, if you have to structure things so that uh, he has like clearly defined goals, but he's also got to play well in order to like, you know, for us to maintain the semblance of like, uh, from a coaching staff perspective, like we have to give this guy minutes. We're giving people who deserve them the minutes, the minutes. It's like you have to play better in order to earn the minutes, but he's not, he's not necessarily like playing well. And so, you know, Seku was in some trade rumors. Um, you know, it, again, brand new front office in Detroit. It's not like a shock that the new front office would want to trade like the, the last remaining player uh, from the previous regime. But at the, on the other hand, like he just turned 20 in December and it's obviously like so, so toolsy that you, you want to give a guy like that a shot. And so like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a similar, it's a similar proposition, but we're made a little bit different by the fact that this Pistons team is not necessarily trying to win as many games as the Pacers are. Yeah. And it's hard too, because with a guy like Seku, like, do you want to throw him into the fire and play him 25 minutes a game? Like I, I, 
I don't know, like, how do you trying to figure out how to build a guy up and like bring them along like that is tough because I, I don't, I mean, you said he's played really well in the G league. It's like the same thing with Gogo Bataze. Like um, luckily he's been getting more minutes now and he, he played decently tonight after he, he had a rough stretch to start the game, but then he hit that three and it kind of turned around for him. Yeah. Um, but with like, I mean, he was, he, he was taking, like, I, I think he was averaging like 20 and 10 in the G league, which is absolutely killing people he only played like three games because he was just so good um so it just gets to a point it's like okay well got to figure it out at the next level um and i I don't know it's i have a good feeling about troy weaver making that happen though um the the plan in place seems really good and and everything that they're going to through to make that happen um but yeah the uh the team the team site they got the the writer for for pistons.com like conspicuously put out a piece today about like how the team is going to make more of an effort to play Seku in, in the second half of the season. It's like, okay. It's like, that's like, it's basically team PR, right? So it's like, okay, team PR says like, A, he's not getting traded and B is going to play more in the second half. So like, these are good things probably, right? If, if you're a fan of Seku. Yes, definitely. Playing players to get them, uh, get them time on the court. Important. Like even Alexi Pokashevsky. I don't know how much you follow along with Poku, but like, oh yeah, yeah, um, I've, he I've went, followed the Poku. Experience. Yeah. Well, uh, Cosmos now just Brian draft Brian because of his account unfortunately being suspended. Um, like posted his his per thirty six differences from like when he first played, then went to the G League bubble, and now is back. He went from being like the worst NBA player of all time to like a kind of bad player so like things change like they get better like he was like i think his true shooting percentage was like almost 45 percent, which is like god awful and now it's like 54 percent. so like hey progress but yeah the young players get better surprisingly hopefully I, i'm hopeful things work out for seku but um We'll see on that end. Unless you have anything else you want to add, I think now is a great time to talk about the Snyder cut for a little bit. We've been uh, been yeah to do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, so oh yeah, okay, you, you go. Okay, um, so my my thoughts about the Snyder cut were just that, like the movie was just functionally too long. It yes. took me an entire like day to get through, and uh, having and I made the mistake, or I guess I, I don't know if it, it was a mistake. But I made the decision to watch Infinity War and then Snyder Cut on the same day. Ooh. And then I watched Endgame, you know, a couple days after. And just, just as a point of comparison to refresh myself about, you know, those two franchises. And, you know, even despite my, you know, disappointments with the, the plot choices in, uh, in uh, Endgame, it's like just that experience was just so much more, you know, visceral than, than anything i felt with with the snyder cut that's where i am i don't think it was bad it's just like i just didn't it, it didn't you know evoke anything from me in the way that those avengers movies did yeah yeah no i think that's fair and i think it's different too because i grew up on marvel and i never really liked dc that much like i like i liked dc and i would watch everything growing up of course but like i didn't feel the same connection to to dc that i did to marvel um I think part of that was just like, um, and it's unfair because Marvel really is kind of a branching off of, not a branching off of DC, but like, um, like the, I mean, I feel like the DC star, I, I don't know for sure if DC started off before Marvel, I should know this if I'm going to talk about it, but like, whatever, we're not, we're not a, uh, a comics podcast, so I don't, I don't <laughs> give a shit. 
uh, come at me if you must. I'm at M Schindler NBA no, on Twitter. So um, the the thing was like so like DC Animated Universe, right? Like the, like they had higher quality like uh, animated stuff to yeah. build off of than Marvel did in the past, right? Like you think Batman the animated series is like one of the single best uh, animated series like ever, you know, put on television. Uh, like Bruce Tim and Paul Denny just like did an amazing job with that. Yeah, like Superman the animated series, just like you know, not as good as Batman, but like still pretty good. Um, you know, can you compare that with like the like you know season and a half of like Iron Man the animated series, which like kind of sucked, or like the the Spider Man animated series, which like you know had that amazing intro. So it's just like a real, it was like that was very much like a kids show. Right? Yeah, like it was, it was not like you know that didn't go as, as hard as as this Batman did, and so it's like you know DC like had this advantage uh in like the storytelling department and they just like squandered it like not trying to put together like an entire universe and like marvel the people over marvel had the foresight to try and like build something in its entirety that and like dc is like trying to trying to emulate that but also trying to condense it into like two movies it's like you, you it took marvel 10 years to get to you know avengers yes. endgame like you, you, you can't rush this yeah, and I think my biggest my biggest issue with with DC in general now is that they try and be like Marvel, like we're mentioning. Like, um, it, it's almost like all right, take it compare it to basketball. It's like everyone trying to emulate the Warriors after they won in fifteen. Like, you can't be the Warriors; you have to win differently because nobody else is going to be what they were. Um, and I think the issue is like. I mean, it's a little bit better. I felt it was better than the Snyder Cut, and they've kind of figured it out a little bit more now. But like they try and like put in some of the campy humor that Marvel does. And it just like, it doesn't work. Like I think DC, like the, the movies are cast and not in terms of like actual casting, but like the way that they're shot is like, it's much darker than Marvel movies. Like Marvel's just presented in a much lighter tone. At least most of the movies are um, brighter sets. Like, like Snyder cut was gray. Like there was just a lot of, a lot of gray and dark going <laughs> yeah. on. Um, and not that it was a bad thing, but I think like my point is, I think DC should really just lean into being like the darker side, like, um, not to make it like all about like being like super, um, like you have to be super serious with everything. But I think, I, I don't know, there's just like, an, it's almost like they take it like so seriously in the wrong way. Like, I don't need to see Ben Affleck work out for a five minute montage in the fucking rain like right we get it batman is yoked but like he's too yoked at this point to be completely honest um because i i just like i i now i feel like he has to be like downing a protein shake in the batmobile or something like it's just it, it some of the ways that they try and make it serious it just comes off like uh this is kind of like dumb like yeah i, I don't know i just it, there's just like it, it's like you mentioned too like they really rushed it um wonder woman 1984 was abysmal uh i actually kind of liked the original wonder woman um and i like gal gadot a lot like she's a great actress but like i, I don't know just it, it feels like uh yeah I, I don't love it it's like adding josh smith like you just you're you know that's that's sorry it always comes back to josh smith i us. love josh smith though like I will, i'll never <laughs> accept the hate josh smith was one of my favorite players growing up but yeah wonder wonder, wonder woman 84 was was so weird because they, it it like it it, it 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 had the same creative team right like same director and everything same i think it was mostly the same writing staff 
It's just like the some of the choices they made. Casting Kristen like, Wiig in a serious role as a villain was just weird. Like I like yeah. Kristen Wiig; she's really funny. Um, but it, like exactly, like how am I supposed to take her seriously as a villain? Like, it's ah, like yeah, it's like you know, or it's like you know, uh, Pablo. I forget his uh, his last name. But it's like okay, so it's like okay, he he gets the stone and then he becomes the stone. And it's like so now people have to touch him and like wish is like this it's like I, I like we're like we're treating this super seriously because you know like uh, it's we're tying this into like the the oil crisis and OPEC and everything I was like but at the same time like he's a televangelist it's like it's just like a lot of like weird choices that like didn't that like made what should have been like a pretty good movie like not you think about uh Think about like where is like if you're building off uh, like the established, uh, you know, character like aging through time or whatever. Think about the differences in choice between like what Wonder Woman 84 tried to do and like what the, the Marvel did with like Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Right. It's like, OK, we have this uh, we have like this established storyline that we want to go with this like return of this character that we've seen in a prior movie as like the bad guy. Um, versus like Wonder Woman 1984, like nothing, ex- the only thing that like exists from the previous movie is Wonder Woman. And then they like, shoehorn in Chris Pine through like magic and never like really, you know, grapple with the ethics of like how that's supposed to work. And but then, and like they, they do that obviously because like Pine has signed a deal that's appear in like three Wonder Woman movies or whatever. But like they, they don't make it like work seamlessly like within the plot. And so it's just like, okay, this guy's here because like it, we we want him here. It's just like you, you could you could make these things work if you like thought them out and plotted them better, but they just they just didn't. And so yeah. like it just looks bad. Yeah, the definitely. only other thing about the Snyder Cut that I really want to get off my chest is that like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm settling in for the for the Snyder Cut. I'm like, I'm I'm willing to give this movie a shot, absolutely. And then like one of the first scenes we get is like Batman uh trekking to like the nordic country or whatever to to go see aquaman and then we've got like the three minute scene where like the icelandic women are like singing as aquaman yeah like, that swims was away as like okay i know what i'm in for and like i'm like we're we're going to some weird places <laughs> yeah the uh the music in it was was very odd um the some of the music choices were definitely out there uh like they there would just be like random like pop songs going off in the middle of like a a fight scene and like they were like it it just some of the tie-ins just did not make sense there was a it was a lot a lot of slow-mo a lot of slow-mo yeah like extended slow-mo too um but the one thing i would say though like i really like some of the action scenes were fantastic like the uh also if anybody's listening and you haven't watched the movie yet this is your own fault if you're still listening to this point um, but like the fight at the beginning with the Amazonians and uh, when Dark Sides, uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name right now. I should. Oh, Step when Steppenwolf comes down initially and has the like the battle with the Amazonians. That is sick. Like that fight scene is awesome. Like that's the stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. I can't sit down and watch a 15 minute fight scene most of the time in a movie, but getting to watch it now, perfect because I blocked this out. Like, um, but the other thing, the last thing I would say about Snyder cut. I just want and like make an entire series about that alternate alternate timeline. That is awesome. Like that was like the most compelling part of the movie was like the last 
five oh to yeah ten the nightmare epilogue. yeah yeah the nightmare like just make that an entire movie thing like i want that that is what i want i don't care about getting your origin story like where it's at the point where like if you have to keep giving an origin story for batman and superman and all this shit like why do i care like if if i really care enough like i know the origin story like we don't have to do an origin story for somebody every single movie you know right like no no one needs to be introduced to batman right like we all know who batman is even if you don't know like everything about batman you you know who batman is you know what he's about you know that like he does this because his parents were murdered you don't have to show his parents getting shot coming out of the opera right like you you don't have to it's like it's a choice you make but it's it's, it's unnecessary exactly yeah well laz this was a blast man i always enjoy getting to talk and i'm sure we're gonna have to do it again sometime soon uh they they're gonna play one more time right uh are they they, Th- they this was only the second time right this season has just been like uh just gone on oh forever. i know it's, i'm so jumbled up in my head i have, I have no idea it's, it's halfway through and it feels like it should be like i mean i guess it's further than halfway through now like 40-ish games so Somewhere yeah, one there. more time in April. One more yeah. time in April. Okay. Well, we'll be uh we will definitely be we'll we'll be talking again then. Do you have yeah. anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Yeah, obviously. Uh, you know, I'm gonna be cross-promoting this on the Pistons versus Everybody podcast, the Detroit Pistons podcast, and the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh obviously you can also listen to me on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. That's uh the podcast for the SB Nation site, uh DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should check out. And you should follow me on Twitter at last chance at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can get uh, more detailed thoughts about uh, the Snyder Cut on there. So, so yeah, that, that's where uh, that's where you guys can find me. Fantastic. And, yeah, you can find me at M. Schindler NBA. Uh, less detailed thoughts on the Snyder Cut. I think the only thing I posted when I wa- was watching was it's a lot of slow-mo. Um, and that actually got more engagement than some of the, the things that I say about the NBA. So it was fantastic. Um yeah, but you can, I mean, you can find all my work uh, over at Indie Cornrows. I host Indie Cornrows Pod. I also do some stuff at Premium Hoops, which is a site that I run with a couple of other guys who cover the league at large. Um, for SB Nation, actually, I will plug this. I had, a, I had a brief chance to interview Miles Turner yesterday, and I got that up this morning. So I uh, talked a little bit about sneakers, the new promotion that he's doing, and you should, uh, you should check that out. It was a good time. Uh, Laz, this was a blast. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you listening of course be sure to rate and review both of our shows by the way that would be greatly appreciated we always want to get that uh get that feedback 